0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives and why do others flop? Whose work in legacy transcends time and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me, and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment, and place them in the official pop pantheon. Uh uh Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Pantheon. This is DJ Louie, of course, as ever. So glad to have you back with me. Few quick remarks up top. Uh, I have a few things I'd really love to hear your guys' feedback on. The first is the Discord idea. How many people would love to hop into Discord after every episode and have a chat with me and all the other people listening to the podcast about that week's subject? I'd really love to hear from everybody about that. So if that is of interest, please DM me at djlouiexiv on Instagram, Twitter, and let me know what you think. Um, and of course, please follow me there and follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. The second is, uh, as I mentioned last week, I'm still in the course of trying to put together a pop Pantheon party in LA, which I'm so excited about. But I did kind of want to hear from people if parties are a thing that you're interested in doing or going to at this point with everything, quote unquote, everything that's going on right now. So if you have thoughts on any of that stuff, I would love to hear from people about that. Uh, and again, the best way to do that is to, Follow me on uh, Instagram at xiv or on Twitter and let me know about that. The last thing I wanted to say is that I am renewing my drive to get to 100 comments and ratings on Apple Podcasts. It really, really, really helps me get the podcast in front of more people. The algorithm totally is based on the amount of like engagement you get on the page, whether that's subscribing, whether that's writing a comment, whether that's giving a review. And so if you haven't done that yet, I'm just asking humbly that if you have a second, please give this podcast a rating or review so that I can get it in front of more people who might be interested in hearing what we talk about here. Also, don't forget that every episode now features a Spotify playlist of all of my favorite essentials from each artist. It includes every song we mention and play on the podcast, plus more songs that I think are just like key to understanding the artists we're talking about that week, or just some of my personal faves. So those are always linked in the show notes from now on, and I'll link them on my social media and poppy on social media as well. And last, of course, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, if you're interested, you can go back to the beginning of this feed and listen to the episode, Sode, What Exactly is the Pop Pantheon? If you want a little bit context on how the tiers of the Pop Pantheon work, at the end of the podcast, you'll hear that we attempt to rank the artists we're talking about that week in the Pantheon tiers. So I think it's something that you'll totally be able to pick up on just by hearing us talk about it in this episode. But if you want to just get some context in a quick sort of 10 minute little mini-sode that's available at the beginning of this feed, mini-sode what exactly is the Pop Pantheon. So that's going to be it for me for right now. I am so, so excited about this week's episode. And so without further ado, here is Pop Pantheon Kylie Minogue. Is a pop star who occupies two distinct alternate universes. Here in the US, she's a bit of a one hit wonder, known primarily for her infectious 2001 club banger, Can't Get You Out of My Head, which hit number seven on the Hot 100, or as a niche gay icon, beloved in gay clubs but somewhat unknown outside their walls. But in pretty much every other place on Earth, Kylie is a pop megastar of the highest order decades of countless smash hits remarkable sonic reinventions epic arena tours iconic music videos and undying public fascination and adoration here kylie's a novelty in most of the world kylie is a pop goddess Born in Australia, Kylie began her career there as a teen working in soap operas before releasing her debut single in 1987, a cover of Little Eva's The Locomotion. Everybody's
1: doing a brand new dance now. Come on, baby, do the locomotion. I know you'll get to like it if you give it a chance now. Come on, baby, do the
0: this became an international hit and the first of a remarkable run for Kylie that extended into the early 90s. In fact, between 1987 and 1992, Kylie had no fewer than 13 top five singles in the UK alone. But in this early period, Kylie was pegged as a bit of a little sister figure in pop. Squeaky clean, polished perhaps to a fault, and a little bit manufactured, sort of like we might think of a Disney star in the early part of her career here in America. But the music was undeniable. Frothy, sunny, disco-inflected smashes, unabashed in their pure pop cheesiness, almost to the point of camp. But while she appeared unstoppable globally, almost none of these songs made any impact at all stateside. The middle phase of Kylie's career came in the mid 90s when she shed her Australian label and the production team she had worked with on her first four records and entered a more experimental period. Her music here became markedly sexier, more club oriented and increasingly adventurous. Some of these forays led to continued chart success as with her 1994 single, Confide in Me. With 1997's bold, left-field, art-pop project Impossible Princess, an album which drew on rock, electronica, and uber-personal lyrical content a full year before Madonna did the same on Ray of Light, Kylie hit a commercial and personal nadir, and even threatened to quit music forever.
1: Into this dim, it's bitter and I want the sweetness again, the taste I agree Get it, the a comfort.
0: But there is no one else where I'll be up Unlike most pop stars 10 years into their careers, however, Kylie's biggest hits were still ahead of her. Beginning with 2000's return to form disco extravaganza light years and its smash lead single Spinning Around, Kylie began one of the most remarkable comebacks in pop history, culminating with 2001's Fever. Featuring numerous smashes, including the aforementioned Can't Get You Out of My Head and follow-up hit Love at First Sight, Fever gave Kylie her first major breakthrough in the US 14 years after the locomotion. Kylie hasn't quite been able to capitalize on her momentary breakthrough here on our shores. Since the success of Fever, she has maintained a level of prominence, critical respect, and continued commercial success in most of the world, with albums like X and 2010's Aphrodite, and massive hits like All The Lovers, that's paralleled only by other tippy top pop icons like Madonna, Britney, and Cher. To date, Kylie has sold more than 80 million records worldwide. She has sold over 10.1 million singles in the United Kingdom alone, making her the 12th best-selling singles artist and the third best-selling female artist in a UK history. She has 10 Australian and 7 UK number ones, along with 11 UK number twos. In total, she has 34 UK top 10 hits. She is also one of the quintessential gay pop icons, adored and embraced by the LGBTQ community the world over. Here with me on Pop Pantheon today to discuss the queen of Australian pop and one of my personal favorite pop stars is the editorial director of HuffPost Personal and my friend, Noah Michelson. Uh Okay, so I'm here with editorial director of HuffPost Personal, Noah Michelson. Noah, welcome to Pop Pantheon.
2: It is my absolute honor and delight to be here.
0: (laughs) Noah and I go way back. Noah used to edit my... uh, very personal pieces that I would write for HuffPost back in the uh, early aughts about my grinder hookups, et cetera.
2: You know what's so funny though? When I think of you, I don't think of that. I think of, I literally think of going dancing because you would be DJing. I would almost never go out, but if you were DJing, like I would want to be there.
0: That is so sweet. I so appreciate that. And I just want to say that the two main things that I think of when I think of our relationship are that you were the first person to send me Carly Rae Jepsen's emotion before it came out. <laughs> I don't want to air you out or anything, but you did send me a zip file. <laughs> And I will never forget that day. And I remember saying something to you like, wow, this is like almost as good as 1989. And you were like, it's so much better than 1989.
2: <laughs> it is it is a classic. I think we will look back in 100 years and be like, yes, that is yes. a classic.
0: I completely agree. One of the best pop albums I can remember in my lifetime, yeah. I think. And then the other memory I have is us going to see Tanase together at
2: Hammerstein yes. Ballroom. Oh my God. That was actually an amazing show.
0: It was, and I remember like going on my high horse and being like, "Noah, uh, like Tanisha is going to be the next big thing," and you were like, "Oh, really?" And I was totally wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was still but you a know great what? Show.
2: Based on that show, I would have agreed, but you're right. She just kind of uh, just yeah she got
0: it. yeah. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to listen to like either of her um recent indie solo record she put out songs for you or 333 but they're both really worth listening to my ex-boyfriend
2: loves her and so now she's also kind of dead to me because now i just (laughs) her. i think of
0: him so maybe someday (laughs) okay well listen just keep it on the back burner in case like the trigger decreases for you at some point yes yes um all right so we're here to talk about kylie minogue and i'm so excited to have this conversation because i feel like kylie is such an enigmatic pop star uh, who's kind of hard to place in my pantheon. And that's because I feel like she exists on dual planes. There's this world where throughout most of the English speaking universe, she is a A A-list megastar who tours arenas, who's been famous for 30 plus years, who has, you know, an arsenal of 30 hits and is sort of like on that Madonna level of pop star. And then here in America, she's pretty niche. I mean, she's someone that I think the average pop listener, if you're not, you know, a gay guy between the ages of 30 and 45 or whatever, um, you probably think of her as the girl who's saying "can't get you out of my head," and that's it.
2: I think that's really true. I think I think throughout the rest of the world, if you say Kylie, people think of Kylie Minogue. If you say Kylie in the U.S., they think of Kylie Jenner, oh, and that's like a, it, it is devastating, but it's a very clear way to sort of think about where she is popular and where she isn't. But you know, like you said, Kylie's huge everywhere else. She just literally got. Um, Her fifth number one album in the UK in five decades. So she had a, a number one in the 80s, the, 80s, the 90s, yeah. you know, the aughts, the 10s the and now the 20s. And so no, Madonna didn't do that. No one else has done that.
0: Yeah, it's it's it cannot be understated like. And I really think this is dissonant for most Americans because we're Americans because we're so used to being like the purveyors of popular culture, generally speaking. But it really cannot be understated how huge she is. I mean, she is a a a plus list pop star everywhere else in the world. So. I think that one of the ways I want to get into this conversation with you is to just sort of like briefly school the girls just on a very broad level about like what Kylie's career has been like. Because for those of us out there who think she's the girl that like emerged with Can't Get You Out of My Head in 2001, there was a formidable 15 years of hits and a career before that. So in preparing for this, I sort of broke it down into like a few sort of major phases. So let's go through them. The first one was that Kylie emerged as like a soap opera star in Australia in like the mid 80s and then proceeded to have a a, I don't want to like demean it but I think what you would sort of say is like a classically manufactured pop star career for her first four albums where she got signed to a record label she got paired with a well-known production team who produced like very solid but sort of like anodyne 80s and 90s Madonna light pop Is that an unfair framing of that?
2: It's totally fair, and I think Kylie herself would say the exact same thing. The first four albums, she was working with um, Stock, Aiken, and Waterman, who were this production team. And they had huge hits with all kinds of people. I mean, they worked with like Banana Rama and Rick Astley. Never
1: gonna give you up, never gonna let you down, never gonna run around and desert you, never
2: gonna make you. Very much bubblegum pop. And she had very little control over what she was doing, very little input, and I think at first she didn't mind that because I think she she sort of, she was very popular, she had a lot of success, and I think that it, it was okay with her. But I think quickly she started to feel like she was boxed in and she didn't have any input into what her career was like or what she was making.
0: So, like, these albums I want to underscore for people in the UK in particular and in Australia were very successful. I mean, I'm talking about, like, these first four records that we're talking about spurred 10 to 15 top 10 hits. I mean, this was, like, she was seriously huge. But what was, like, the public perception of her? Like, was she credible, like, to people at that time or was she seen as manufactured?
2: She I think she was definitely seen as manufactured. I, I think she was so beloved in a lot of a lot of the world because she had been on Neighbors, which was that soap opera in Australia, which was also a huge hit in the UK. And so I think people loved her because of that, and they were sort of willing to go along with it because with her pop career, because they loved her so much already. Um, And also because the songs were bops. I mean, they were really fun. And at the end of the 80s and the early 90s, like that pure pop was still a thing that people were really um, excited about.
0: that we could look to now that sort of like would give us a sense of what, how people perceived Kylie? Like, was she like a, was she like how we might perceive like sort of a Disney manufactured pop star? Yes. Like, let's say maybe a Demi Lovato yes. or Selena Gomez.
2: Exactly. But but like Demi and Selena before they got to like help write the songs. You know what right. I mean? It's like, right. it's like at the very beginning of their career, just after they left Disney, that's like what Kylie was.
0: Right. And was she, and this is one thing that a track I want to follow because I do think it's an interesting aspect of Kylie. Was the Madonna comparison there from the beginning? Like were people constantly like unfavorably comparing her to Madonna?
2: They were because they were both two very popular and successful female pop stars. But I think that Madonna always had this grit and and this controversy that she that both followed her and that she both that she courted and that she created, Kylie didn't have that. Kylie was the girl next door, literally. Right,
0: right. That you was know, like her, that was her thing. Like that was, uh, that's, oh, and I feel like that's carried through her career. Like she's, the thing that makes Kylie special is she? she's so, I, I don't want to use the word cute in a derogatory way, but there's something about her that's very like endearingly little sister or something like that
2: yes, and and we can talk about this more later, too, but she she's worked hard to keep that intact, right. Um you know, it, it's you don't you don't hear of a lot of controversies with Kylie Minogue. No, um, and 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 that and that's and that's for a reason. which couldn't
0: be more opposite than Madonna, who literally thrived off of controversy for her entire career exactly, exactly. All right. so you have this narrative where she explodes as one of the biggest pop stars in the world, except. Not in America, although that's not t- entirely true because her cover of The Locomotion, which was her debut single, actually did do well in America in 1987.
1: Everybody's doing a brand new dance now.
2: Yeah, she was definitely... That first album was did well in the U.S. too. Um, but when the second album came out, it didn't do very well, and that's when they stopped promoting her in the U.S. They basically just said, doesn't seem like the U.S. likes her, We're just going to stop putting our money there. Let's concentrate on the parts of the world where they do like her.
0: What is that, though? Because you would think, like, if she's making, you know, whatever, Madonna-adjacent, mainstream pop-adjacent, music like what was it about her do you think in that early period that sort of like didn't connect is it is it something we could put our fingers on do you feel like or is it just sort of like purely the sort of like crap shoot sometimes people connect sometimes they don't and we really don't have like a deep understanding of why you know
2: what i talked to peter waterman about this and he basically just said that it's really hard to to know what's going to do well in the u.s and just because something does well at one point doesn't mean it's going to do well even a year later and when you think about the late 80s You know, even people like Amy Grant and Debbie Gibson, those kind of people who had also pure pop going on. started to fall out of favor as as grunge started to come in right, right. as more hip hop started to come in on the charts um, and people had to sort of dirty up their pop if they were going to have pop the pure pop with mm. those like synths and like those synthesized horns right. and drum machines that right. started to go away and Kylie was still doing that for the first four albums and in America ah. that just wasn't as popular so i think that i think that was part of it too just tastes were changing as well and she hadn't made enough of a stamp. She didn't have enough of a personality where she could sort of move forward.
0: You know, that is such a fascinating point because I think fairly or not, she gets grouped in with Madonna and Janet as like a pop star that emerged in the 80s. But unlike those two who emerged in the early to mid 80s, Kylie really didn't even come into play until the late 80s, really early 90s. At which point, as you're saying, and it's so true, like when I think about Janet and Madonna's early 90s output, you're dealing with them significantly veering away from sort of like, you know, crystal clear, pure pop, bright synth music. Like Janet's moving more in like an explicitly sexual direction and as is Madonna and their music is becoming more kind of, Grittier, like when you think yeah. about erotica or you think about the self-titled Janet album, like you think about them sort of steering away from like a more classically pure pop sound. All right. romance, romance,
1: romance. My is data. I'll be mistress tonight. I'd
0: like to put you in a chair. Whereas Kylie was obviously like just completely primarily making that kind of music
2: and and making that kind of music because that's what her record label and the people she was working with wanted her to make. And because that kind of music still was popular in other parts of the world. And so she didn't have any control over it. They didn't know how to get her to, to be popular in the U.S. And they kind of just said, all right moving on, let's concentrate on the things we know how to do well.
0: Right, so the way I understand it, even that had its shelf life for Kylie at a certain point. So we get four albums in, and as you're saying, both from her own imperative and because I guess of the way the music landscape was changing in the mid-90s, Kylie then went through a period I guess from like 1994 through like what people view as her most divisive record, which is 1997's Impossible Princess, which I do want to spend some time on. She went through a period where she really kind of bucked that. Definitely.
2: And this is when she's starting to have some input. She's starting to say... Um, You know, she's starting to write lyrics. She's starting to write songs. She's starting to um, even have input in terms of how she's styled, um, what the visuals are going to look like.
0: What is Kylie taking control? How does that change her musical output and her like her image as a pop star?
2: Well, you know, to be honest, it, it, she's not as successful. Um, mm. And I, I and I think part of the reason is because she really is sort of doing some soul searching and, and the music becomes more personal in some ways. Um, darker. Impossible Princess is a very dark album.
0: And I, I, I have to say, I listened to Impossible Princess for the first time yesterday and I was kind of mind blown by it. Like, you know, Kylie is an artist that... In my mind, you know, I think of her this very one way and and she's an artist unlike Madonna and we'll get into this later where I feel like she is happy to kind of hit your pleasure, your Kylie pleasure center over and over again. And I think that's actually been one of the keys to why she's had such a career or such longevity. But Impossible Princess is extremely like it's it has live instrumentation. It's angsty sounding. It doesn't have like very clear cut pop
1: hooks on it.
0: It almost gave me, like, Ray of Light before Ray of Light in a weird way.
2: It is. It's also, It's it, there's also, you. I mean, I hear Massive Attack. I hear Bjork. I hear Garbage. Definitely She's playing garbage. around with a lot, of, you know, a lot of those groups who are putting out Trip Hop and, you know, sort of... Um, melodic, alternative, grungy music in 1995, 1996. She's very influenced by them for that period. Right, totally, totally. But Um, I think
0: the thing is that unlike Madonna, at least commercially speaking, who was able to bring the world along with her in like a very musically expansive period with Ray of Light and following that and was able to make that Mainstream pop, weirdly enough, that did not happen for Kylie with this era and with Impossible Princess. Even in the UK and people Australia, people didn't know
2: what to do with it. Um, it was so different from what she'd been doing, and they didn't know how to relate to it, and they didn't know how to relate to her, really. Right. And, and and I think that um, one of the great things about Kylie is that every album is always pop. But she's able to give it a a flavor. So, you know, like Golden from a couple years ago was Country. And the most recent one was Disco. And she's doing things, but it's still Kylie. And I think with Impossible Princess, she went too far away from where she was. And people couldn't handle it. Looking back now, everyone says that Impossible Princess is maybe her best album ever. Yeah. But at the time even critics didn't know how to didn't know how to handle
0: it. Right. That. Or or her, her fans and the public largely. You know, I think about that time this was something that was crossing my mind yesterday which was that from 1997 to 1998 between, and again, I hate to bring them up over and over again, but I just think Janet and Madonna are so instructive as pop icons of this era. Female pop stars in the second decade of their career in those specific years were able to make pretty relatively experimental albums and the public went along with them. So I'm thinking about Ray of Light, I'm thinking about The Velvet Rope. These were challenging albums from artists that were taking unexpected turns, but the public was willing to go with them down those rabbit holes. Like they were willing, they were able to pull off those reinventions.
1: When I I can see your face. When I, I can taste your smile. When I see your face. My heart
0: to I can And Kylie was not. And I'm interested in, does that have to do with the fact that her appeal is her her sort of like campy embrace of pure pop and that sort of cute girl next door image that was unshakable. I mean, Janet was a girl next door too who was able to shake that. What 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 was the she dividing was. line?
2: I think though, in some ways, it comes down to momentum. I think that Janet and Madonna both had some momentum behind them. Madonna, just because she's Madonna and she made a really interesting and, and hooky album with Ray of Light. Janet was just coming off of Janet, which had... I don't know, six number one hits, something like that. Yeah,
0: she was a huge album.
2: It was huge. And when you think about it, Velvet Rope actually didn't do as well as it should have. It was a little bit too weird for people, too. It had, you know, Together Again was a huge hit, but she didn't have huge, huge hits off of Velvet Rope. And so I think Janet was able to do it because of the momentum of Janet.
0: And and because now that I'm thinking about it, it's like I don't hear it together again on Impossible Princess. It's like even no. as exp- as as experimental as Velvet Rope was in many ways, and it was. It still had enough of like a pop flavor to it that like she was able to spin off some radio hits. Whereas when I listened to Impossible Princess, I was like, wow, this is like extraordinarily anti-commercial in a way that like is very jarring for for that yes. kind.
2: People just were like, what are you doing? Who are you? This is not the Kylie we knew, either musically or in terms of image. And it freaked people out.
0: Was the perception that she was kind of over at that point?
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Like it felt like this, like, like she was just gonna fade into obscurity.
2: I don't know about that extreme, but I definitely think that people were questioning in terms of, you know, what what was her career gonna look like? Did she have the chops to be? A Madonna to keep going um, I mean I loved Impossible Princess when it came out but I definitely felt like I was one of the few I had all the CD singles and mm. and I was really into it but um, I was also really into like I said like Garbage and Bjork and a lot of those groups at the time and so this just felt like uh, it, it felt okay to me but I think if you really had this image of Kylie um, in your head then it was just, it was a line too far.
0: Right. So then we move out of that period. People think she's done. From what I read, she kind of thought she was done. I mean, she talked about quitting music, but man, you know, I often talk about how in my pantheon, one of the keys to unlock the sort of tier three to tier two and one uh, thing is a pulling off a successful reinvention that like gives your career a second or even third wind. And I say, you know, maybe not, I don't know how to even frame it in America versus the rest of the world, but Kylie, whoa. So following Possible Princess, she releases this album called Light Years, which is basically a return to sort of disco Kylie. I listened to it yesterday for the first time all the way through and what a fun album. Like, I mean, it is just like so campy, like really a disco homage in some ways that's like more effective than the more recent disco homage she put out. <laughs>
2: I was just going to say, and also that she she had a new record label. And so after Impossible Princess, she moved to a new record label. And their whole idea was, this is going to be the return of pop, Kylie. And so that was very important.
0: Right. And I feel like also a pivotal moment for her in her career where she had, had done her foray into something more experimental. And really, I think it feels like kind of made peace with who she's meant to be in the pop landscape in a way that like really reinvigorated her career. That That's my impression of it.
2: The, well, the, and the other, the other thing about it too, is that she's going to be a pop star again at this point, but she's not going to be the pop star she was in the early eighties or the late eighties, early nineties. She's going to have a say right. in what she sounds like, what she right. looks like. And so, yes, yeah, she's returning to pop, but it's a whole new, it's a whole new ball game for her. It's not what it was.
0: And it's also, yeah, it's almost like her being able to rewrite the early phase of her career where she's making pure pop music, but it's actually emanating from her artistic vision as opposed to like being something manufactured or being something where she didn't have control.
2: And, And it could be argued that she could only do that by having put out those two albums that didn't do as well, that she had so much input on. Those allowed her to flex those muscles and really kind of decide who she wanted to be and how it was going to be. And so I think you're right. She could return to pop, but she could do it on her terms.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So we have this album, Light Years, which becomes a smash hit, spins off numerous hit singles that helps reestablish Kylie's career in most of the areas where she had been popular before. But then she does something even grander than that that is so remarkable, especially for an artist that's 15 years into her career, which is on the follow-up album, Fever, she releases a lead single called Can't Get You Out of My Head, which not only becomes one of the biggest singles of all time in the world, but also does something, finally, That she struggled to do for so long, which is gives her a smash hit song in America after 15 years. enough. For a pop star, especially a woman, Uh, 15 years into her career at that point to have the biggest single of her career. It really cannot be stressed enough how uncommon that is. I mean, think about... I I often thought... I thought about this listening to these records yesterday. I thought about, okay, like, think about Katy Perry, for instance, as as an example of somebody that, like, attempted to sort of, like, do slightly more experimental music after being such a pure pop star and has really been unable to recover musical relevancy after that. I mean, that's usually what happens. If if a pop star steps too far outside of what they're expected to deliver, they can't bring it back together. So yeah. it's really, I, I, I'm so fascinated by the fact that Kylie was able to literally have her biggest hit ever 15 years into her career. I mean, is that insane? Like, what how, that's crazy.
2: <laughs> it is absolutely insane. And I think it's even more insane because I... Do not like that song. I find no, that song. You're I don't. kidding me. I I think maybe because I've heard it so much and now I you know I I'm not looking at it with fresh ears. But right, I find it repetitive. I find it kind of boring. But oh it, but it was that. God. No, I know. That I know. Is it's a sacrilegious. hot
0: take to incinerate all the hot takes. But I, it, my God, but people
2: loved it. It was an earworm. You could sing along. The
0: video is incredible. It is nothing but hooks. It's yep. literally seven hooks. Over, I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. I, I think you had I head is like a mind blower of a pop song, but I get it. I I, oh, I, get it is. It, I get it in the sense that like, I find it irritating when everyone's like toxic is the best Britney song because like, it is a great song, but it's also just like, it's annoying that the, when locals sort of like latch on to like this one song is the cool song of this pop star that I'm allowed to like, or whatever. And you're like missing the rest of the material that's equally worthy, if not more so, in some cases. Yeah, and
2: for me, there's something missing in that song. And I feel like this is how I feel about Kylie's music in general. I like it when she's sexy and slinky, like the song Slow. It's the mm-hmm. same thing for me. Down and dance
1: with me. Yeah, slow. Skip a beat and move in my body. Yeah, slow.
2: I objectively understand that they're good songs or even incredible songs. But for me personally, there's something of like the joy that I love about Kylie that isn't in those songs. And I I, I just don't love it. I just, it just doesn't click for me personally.
0: You prefer more of the sort of like make the song smile disco Kylie, which is like kind of her main mode for, for if we're going to point to one. And this is more, there's a darker, um sensuality to Can't Get You Out of My Head. That's not exactly reflective of, like, that mode. Exactly, yeah. Right, okay, so we have this second breakthrough in the United States, although it's somewhat short-lived. She has the follow-up hit Love at First Sight, but then it kind of fizzles again. And then we sort of enter, you know, a pretty interesting latter period of her career, which I'd say has kind of encompassed the last 20 years or so, where... Um, you know, she continues to be huge in Europe, Australia, rest of the world. I sort of feel like, and again, you and I had a disagreement talking about her recent album, Disco in this regard, but I sort of feel like she entered this period post fever that I would characterize almost as like a very pleasant rut where she kind of like knows what people expect and want from her and just sort of gives it to you over and over again. I get that there's Golden, which came out before her most recent album in like 2017 or 18, which sort of flirted with country. But basically she's giving you fun, flirty disco and new disco music in the vein of love at first sight. That's like exactly what you want from Kylie kind of like over and over and over again with only very slight tweaks. Which I enjoy and very much enjoy as opposed to like watching Madonna attempt to continue to sort of shock and awe us with music that is like unlistenable. Like I sort of enjoy that Kylie kind of has decided to just sort of give it to us over and over again. I mean, I don't know if I have that framing wrong. I'm curious what you think.
2: I think that she won the lottery with Can't Get You Out of My Head. And now she's like, just like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And what I want to do is make music that sounds really good. And, um, this is what I'm really good at. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to give you different variations on it. Like you said, I'm going to, this, this album might be disco. This album might be country. This album might be more like, um, straight up pop. Like I think Aphrodite, which came out in 2011, 2010, 10. I think that, yeah, that's, that's my favorite album by her, because it's straight up pure
1: pop. That have gone before, they don't don't
0: Produced by Stuart Price of Confessions on Who's, a Dance Floor yes. fame.
2: Confessions on a Dance Floor, the Dua Lipa album
0: that just came out. I mean, right? He produced Levitating. Uh, icon. He's brilliant,
2: but it, it's pure pop. But it's but it it sounds so expensive, and it sounds so smart. And Jake Shears wrote, and Calvin Harris wrote on it. And she was really, really being like, "I'm gonna do this thing." And so I think you're right. I don't think that she's at this point really looking to like break any boundaries she's just gonna make really good music
0: right and there's really something to that so i guess what i want to get into now is we talked a little bit about at the beginning about sort of like what was going on in pop in the late 80s and early 90s that sort of like didn't play in kylie's favor at that time interestingly enough post can't get you out of my head she also sort of quickly receded again in american pop why? What is it about her? You know, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is that, like, albums that she's put out in, in you know, the late aughts and early 2010s really did suit the current musical moment in America. I mean, that was the era of Katy, of Gaga, of these huge dance pop records being gigantic smashes in America, which is Kylie's, you know, sweet spot. But yet she really quickly kind of receded yet again. What is that about?
2: You know, it's interesting. I talked to her about this, and I said... Why didn't you court America more heavily? And she really bristled at that. And she was really like, I think it's basically kind of fucked up that that you aren't considered a success unless you can break America. And it right. really sounded to me like she was just like, "I I wasn't interested in that. You know, even when Can't Get You Out of My Head was, was... Right,
0: but not not for lack of trying. I mean, they tried to break her in America again. I mean, Once Can't Get You Out of My Head was sort of like a left field success. I mean, I see that kind of in the era directly after that, when it was sort of the hip hop and B era, she was kind of again out of fashion making dance pop music. But I'm talking about sort of like more in the late aughts and early 2010s when dance pop was so huge in America. They kept trying to kind of like make her pop off here and it should have in many ways because she was making the kind of music that was very much in vogue yeah. at that period. They here.
2: did to a degree though because think about it. I mean even um Love at First Sight which was also on Fever was a huge hit here as well. I think that that got was that was top yes. 5 here. Um she yeah. didn't tour she didn't tour for Fever in America and she very well right. could have. That was a decision she made. She decided not to tour. And so I really think mm. that she was just I don't think that she I In her head, I don't know if she has a grudge or what it is, but I just don't think that she really cared. The first time she toured America was in 2010. Um, I remember 2000, that. Yeah.
0: 2009. She didn't have anything to promote. She was playing like 2,000 seat venues, which is so fascinating. She's like in London selling out the O2 for 10 nights. And then she's yeah. here playing like literally like Irving Plaza or something like that. In right. York, like in a thousand but, seat theater.
2: Yeah, but and but she came here without anything to promote. There wasn't an album right. out at that time. She she just came here and that was literally like a gift to her fans, mostly her gay right. fans. And 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 it wasn't about trying to push her career or her agenda. And so I think it's so interesting that I think part of it is that she just doesn't care at this point.
0: Right. And I think there is just something very explicitly non-American about both her presentation and her sort of fealty to creating pure pop and dance pop. You know, in thinking about this yesterday, I thought to myself, um, there was a couple things that popped into mind. One is she is a, more than even just a pop star, she's a devotee to dance music. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that that's always been something that's been embraced uh, more consistently in non-American markets is, Dance club music, like we didn't really have our like we have periodic dalliances with that in American pop. Like again, you know the explosion of Katy Perry and Gaga and in, in that period in the in the late aughts. You know, there's various moments where we embrace dance music, but there's so many forces at play in American pop music, namely hip hop and R and B, that really aren't as pervasive or weren't in most other uh, like. Western countries and it sort of makes me think um you know like she was very very much a dance pop artist and I think that might have played into it and then the other thought that I sort of had to myself is she's very campy um Mm. in in a way that I think is more acceptable in pop in other countries than it is here like we're less open to pure camp
2: Yes, I think that those are both great points to make. I will also say that I think America has a much stricter sense of what is or can be popular at any at any one given time. If you look at the UK charts and a lot of other countries, you will have like such distinct different genres of music at number one at number two at number three on the charts they're much more open to different kinds of music and and different kinds of music existing at the same time whereas in America it's like nope this is our hip-hop phase nope right now we're just doing rap like you look at the top 10 and it's just this kind of of music and so um, I think it was harder for her for her kind of music, her brand of music and her dedication to that kind of music to really stay um, relevant in America.
0: Yeah, and American pop stars really have to be, if you want to be a mainstream pop star, at least historically speaking, you have to be very flexible. I mean, I think about... Madonna putting out a, like, record in the mid-90s, which was, again, another big kind of moment for hip-hop and R&B in American pop that yes. was, like, produced by Dallas Austin and Babyface. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, she, she had to sort of pivot in that direction. Like, that's yep. what Amer- American pop stars have more of an impetus to do that because... It's interesting because, like, in Europe, as you said, I do agree, there's more fluidity on the charts. Like, they're more willing to embrace novelty. They're more willing to embrace camp. They're more willing to Mm -hmm. embrace rock music, you know, that's like very out of favor. Whatever. There's lots of different things. But in a way, in America, there's. Um, Almost the force of hip hop and R&B is so powerful here that like it uh, and there's sort of like a a push and pull that goes on in American popular music starting in the 80s moving forward that to this day between pure pop and hip hop and there's sort of like a they dance together, they pull apart, they push at each other, they come in phases with each other that I think is very uniquely American. And
2: I think the other thing I'll say, too, is like we shouldn't discount the power and and terror of ageism in America. And I think ageism is a much bigger thing here than it is in other parts of the world, at least in terms of who can be successful. And I think a woman who's 53 is going to have a really hard time getting on the charts, no matter what she's putting out now. Right. Um, So true. It's a a fluke. It's a fluke if it happens. Right. I was actually um, thinking
0: as I was listening back to Kylie's records yesterday uh, about How she and Madonna and Janet were all female pop stars in their mid 30s or late 40s, who in the late 90s were kind of finding hits in a way that would be kind of surprising in this day and age. And then Cher having her biggest hit single in like 1999 or whenever Believe came out. I also feel that that wouldn't happen today. Like that happened in America. Like even they were able to be successful in America. In the late 90s, I feel like today you couldn't picture a 40- or 50-year-old pop singer having any form of chart success.
2: No. And if, if it happened, even with Believe, it was such a fluke. If it happens, it's a fluke. It's because the stars yeah. aligned, something happened. Um, and the other thing I'm going to say about Kylie, and, and I feel this way about... Um, I think we've talked about this with Carly Ray Jepsen, too, is that Kylie doesn't have a personality... And the way that Madonna does or that that some other pop stars right. do. And I feel this way about Carly, too. And I think that people sometimes don't know what to do with them because they're kind of like, I don't know who you are. And especially off the mic or out of the studio.
0: Right. And pop megastardom often centers around a cult of personality and more so now than ever. You know what I mean? It's like 150%. when you think about... When you think about Taylor Swift as like such a great example of this, it's like the interplay between her celebrity and her personal life and her musical success is inextricable. You cannot separate people's fascination with her as a person, who she's dating, whatever, from her music. It's all in the mix that creates her megastardom.
1: Exactly. So for, a
0: more, for, for a less personality-forward pop star, it's, it can be difficult to cultivate that cult of personality.
2: And that's not to say that she doesn't have – Kylie doesn't have a personality, but I will say – No, I've no, 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 no.
0: It's just that she's – right. It's it's just not about that for her particular – It's not about that. Her and, particular and,
2: sauce. And she, she wants it that way. I mean, I've interviewed her a bunch of times, and she is lovely, and I always have a great time. But she's not the interview where you get a sound bite. She's not the interview where she's going to reveal something. She's been doing this for too long. She knows who she is too well. And she's going to give you, she's going to talk about the album and she's going to, she's going to be really great. But you're, it's not like when you would interview Madonna or something like that where you might get something really outrageous out of her. You're not going to get that out of Kylie
0: right and like it's not like you know she's had high profile relationships and stuff like that but it's never been something that's like a big celebrity fixture that people i mean maybe in europe i mean that's the other thing sometimes i feel like i'm out of my depth with kylie because she's just so differently perceived outside of america and you know i don't get to experience that firsthand but it's not like you think about so many pop stars and their famous relationships you know that's not something that you really like think about with kylie
2: Right. I mean, I talked to Jake Shears about Kylie, and he said the reason that gay guys Jake love Shears, her... by the way,
0: just to insert, is the lead singer of the Scissor Sisters.
2: Exactly, and he's mm-hmm. he's written songs with her. They've duetted together, and too um, much. He Didn't told... he
0: write too much?
2: Too much. He okay, did, I'm which is wrong? one of my. No, he did. It's one of the best songs she's ever done. It's so good. <laughs> me you know she's like glinda the good witch and <laughs> you know you want her oh my you God, want her to be so your best accurate. friend yeah yes. you know it's it's like you, it, you want her to be your best friend you want to go out with her you want to have a slumber party with her and that's kind of the role that kylie plays
0: Totally. But that actually brings me to my, one of my next questions, which is like, who are, where do we see Kylie's influence most clearly post Kylie? Like who are the, who are the artists where we sort of like see them playing with the groundwork that she laid? I
2: mean, I think Gaga for sure. When you look at some of those early Gaga videos, even they feel very like, can't get you out of my head.
0: Mm, Um, Like with the hood, with the hood. Yeah. 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 So visually, 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 visually. Yeah.
1: Because and Gaga, not-
0: because Gaga is a very different type of singer than Kylie is, though. Like, yes, you know Gaga sure. is a very, is a belter, and Kylie is decidedly a a cooer. Yes,
2: but but they but they kind of play in the same playground sometimes. I mean, Kylie loves the electro pop stuff right. that Gaga was doing too. If you listen to "Rain on Me" from from
0: Gaga's latest, yeah, album, that's very Kylie for sure. You
2: could like you literally hear the line from uh, "Love at First Sight" in there. I think that Gaga definitely got a lot from her, but Gaga got a lot from everyone, right? So,
0: yeah, yeah um, you, you know, uh, a thought I had, and a cross that I'm continually willing to die on, is that the Madonna Britney comparison is so not apt when you really break it down. Like, who yes. created who? Who generated the Britney sound? It's like Janet obviously is the number one person that comes to mind. It was. It's obvious to me. I mean, they're both. Their voices are somewhat similar. You know, the way that they approach singing is so much similar. The kind of music they make is so much more similar to me than Britney is, is to Madonna's in any way. But then I also feel like Kylie is a big source of inspiration for the Britney sound.
2: You're absolutely right. Listen listen to some of those early Britney albums, especially. Um, like songs like Anticipating. Like there is this oh, sort of bubblegum pop to them.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: You know what I mean, and, yeah. and you could hear some of those songs on Kylie's earlier albums. Um, so I think you're absolutely right, and then some of the, the later grittier stuff also sounds like Kylie. Agreed. So I, think, I mean,
0: all those fem, all those dance tracks on Femme Fatale um, yeah. are so like trip to my heart, and uh, there's so many of them that I'm like, oh my god, this could have been on X, or this could have been on Aphrodite. And I, I think Kylie and Janet both played a very important role in changing the what we expected from a singer, of a pop singer. Yeah. Like, that you could utilize a very thin, quiet voice to create intimacy, to create sex appeal. Um, I feel like Kylie was an extremely important generator of that. And that's become a huge part of pop music that you do not need to have a big virtuosic voice. You can use a small voice in really intimate and creative ways. I feel like that's part of her legacy. I do
2: too. You know, I will say to that though, you go see Kylie in concert. She's singing live the entire time. There's absolutely no lip syncing and that woman actually has a voice. There are moments like if you think about um like the song Confide in Me, mm-hmm. she hits this huge note and holds it. Um and she always does it live and it's incredible. And so I agree. She doesn't have the kind of like belter voice that we think of, but she is a singer and she's dedicated to being a singer.
1: But in the name
0: I was fascinating watching like these collaborations she did with like Nick Cave in the mid '90s. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fascinating to think like she's got. I I feel that for all of her like devotion to pure pop and to bubblegum pop and to disco, these are all genres that are generally like looked down upon by rockist sort of like musical culture. She's really uh, embraced by people you wouldn't expect and given credibility yes. through that in that way, like. You wouldn't expect a Kylie Minogue-Nick Cave collaboration, and yet there they are together, like, singing a duet. <laughs> I
1: said, do you know where the wild roses grow? So sweet and scarlet and free. On the second day he came with a single red rose. He said, give me your loss and your sorrow. Show
0: you the roses we found, oh. Of course, gay men and female pop stars across time have a very special and and uh, time-honored tradition that almost doesn't need to be said. But there's something specific about Kylie as a gay icon that she feels almost exclusively ours in a way that, like, other pop stars, you know we venerate them we're a huge part of the culture of of many pop stars careers but with kylie it feels like it's kind of next level
2: i think it's for a couple reasons i think number one her music has already has always been the kind of music that gay men often typically stereotypically like to listen to right disco pop dance, dance.
0: and it's and she, and again it kind of comes back to the explicit campiness there's a campiness to it that's very gay and,
2: and and, and also a joy. And I think that especially for gay yeah. men who grew grew up with her, people of, of my generation, you know, um, early 90s, AIDS, you know, we were looking for ways to be joyful or even just being closeted and growing up in Wisconsin and not having any way to express who you are. This woman came along and was like, there are things to be joyful about. Here they are. Mm. Join me. Like, that's an imitation that's pretty hard to pass up.
0: Yeah, you know, there's something about that pure joy that, as we're talking, just feels absolutely fundamental to, like, what makes the Kylie thing sing. You know what I mean? And it's authentic. And that's the other thing about
2: Kylie is that she is authentic. Maybe she doesn't have the huge personality that some of these other women do, but she has never pandered to us. Mm. Even with Madonna, who I love Madonna, but you can definitely say that, that you know her. that she that she has pandered to the queer community at times and it's felt inauthentic or it's felt problematic. Oh, yeah. Kylie never did that. Mm-hmm. Kylie was gonna do her thing and she wanted us to join her, but she was never gonna try and pander to us. I even there was even a rumor that she was bisexual back when it was like very popular for these pop stars like Katy Perry and people to be sort of um Pretending to be Plur- or learning yeah. with Nicki Minaj, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yes,
2: and and she's told me she's like, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I, I've only been with men, and so far that's who I am, um, and, and I, I like that too, but at the same time she's had our back. I mean, back in 2006, I think she was engaged, and she and her fiance said that they wouldn't get married until marriage equality was legal in Australia. I mean, she puts her money where her mouth is. And it feels real. And I think that real can sense real. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, I, I totally know what you mean. And I also think one thing that creates a special bond between gays and a pop star is underdog status. And I feel like yes. she certainly has that here. And I almost feel like despite how big she is in other parts of the world, she's always sort of the little sister to Madonna or whatever, like there, she still is able to have that sort of like underdog vibe to her that I think gay men really connect to. Um, and I feel like she also, as I'm talking to you, uh, one thing I've, that's come up a lot in the conversations on this podcast so far has been the way that pop pure pop music has become niche in recent years. Um, and has become really the providence of gay men in so many ways. Like as it's receded from popular culture, you know, as we're talking about, we're in a phase right now where hip hop and um, viral rappers are really dominating mainstream music, and there's really not a huge place for the pure pop that used to be sort of like the most popular music. So as exactly. that's, as that's happened, it's like the pure pop artists have become niche kind of gay exclusively gay icons like I think about Carly Rae I think about Kim Petras I think about Charlie XCX I think about you know even pop stars that were bigger at the time like we gays will still show up and buy Katy Perry albums when nobody else will so I sort of feel like in a way Kylie was ahead of the curb on that in that sense of like Uh, being a champion that's like sort of the secret of gay men on some level, even though it's kind of weird to say that because she was so humongously popular in most of the world for most of her career. So I don't know. There's just something about that.
2: I think that's true too. And I also feel like whenever I hear there's going to be a new Kylie album, I'm not worried that she's going to fuck it up. I'm like, she's not going to give me something that I don't want. She's not like, going to give I, you
0: Madame X is what you're saying.
2: Exa- exactly and and, and and I and I appreciate that about her. It's like she's like, I got I got you, I got you.
1: Put your hands up.
0: Okay, so now this brings me to the part of our conversation that I think is going to be a little bit challenging to do, and it's making me sort of rethink, like, the Pantheon in a certain way because it's like, is the Pantheon an American-based thing? Like, I feel that Kylie, in terms of, like, us trying to place her in this Pantheon, is literally in two radically different tiers yeah, depending on geographically where we're talking about. So, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, in America she's either in tier 4 which is sort of like people that had you know one big breakthrough moment that was sort of short-lived that doesn't feel totally right because even though that is sort of true of her in America like i think there's also plenty of people that know that she's bigger than that even if they're not personally experiencing that as americans so i'm not yeah. like it's not like i don't i don't feel comfortable shoving kylie into the same category as I don't know like Paul Abdul or something like that. Um right. and then I sort of think like maybe in America she's these niche legends, like people that have long successful pop careers as but not main not massively mainstream successful. And that also doesn't like I don't feel like she totally fits in with the Carlys and Charlies and the Robins, like she's I don't know. Like in America, does Kylie occupy the same space in our imagination that Robin does? Not quite. Right. No. Um, And then in Europe, I think I would put her in like a square tier two, which would be, You know, a pop megastar that's like, you know, got 20 plus years of hits, successful reinventions, could launch an arena tour, even if their latest music is not, you know, their most successful, you know, uh, you know, almost, you know, like really, really top shelf. That's where I'd put her in Europe.
2: Yeah, I think she's even creeping towards... Number 1. I know number 1 is such the like top top top, but in in yeah. in the UK and in Australia, Kylie is it? I mean, I was just reading a bunch of articles right. about how like she, she uh, over the last couple of years she's the most famous and talked about woman in the UK. Um she's had 34 Whoa. top 10 hits in the UK. You know, like wow. she is beloved. But would you
0: would you say Kylie would you say Kylie's bigger in the UK than like Janet or Britney is here?
2: Yes, I think so. Wow, wow. Okay, so that's definitely a, pre- that's definitely a pretty major than, statement. Definitely bigger, definitely bigger than Janet or um, Britney is here now. I mean, I think Britney's infamous right. now and i think janet right. is beloved just because but like when's the last time janet jackson had a hit you know what i mean
0: yeah Whereas but Kylie's yeah right but
2: still still getting the hits
0: yeah but yeah I, I, it's it's complicated because there's just so there's also so many differences because it's like I, I would say that janet's first of all janet's you know run from 1986 to 2001 Insane. was pretty monumental and monumental in terms of like so many hits and in terms of like sonic innovation i mean she was like the music that that janet made like shaped pop music in pretty inextricable ways sometimes i think like is kylie's sort of like strength in that she's like just sort of sits in that pure pop lane uh is that sort of like detrimental to her legacy because a lot of those tier one artists like there was a certain amount of like innovation inherent in what they did, which is like not something I would necessarily say Kylie is known for. you know what though I
2: think when we look back at Kylie, um, and we have some space between her now and 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 later, I think we're gonna realize how innovative a lot of that music was right. not the early stuff, but I think a lot of the stuff, um even listening again to like X or Aphrodite mm. and and sometimes those albums didn't do that well because I think they were maybe a little bit too innovative for the for the audience who did want that pure pop and there were a couple of singles that really scratched that itch but there was stuff on those albums that I think still sometimes were like people were like I especially like when you think about body language people didn't really know what to do that with that album at all it was very much like a throwback to like early 80s new wave mm. but with a pop sheen and so I agree. I think right now P- Kylie feels very much like pure pop and, and doing sort of the same thing over and over, which is comforting. Mm-hmm. But I think when we look back at some point, we're going to be like, oh no, she was doing some crazy shit.
0: It's fascinating to think of her as potentially being in that top tier because I think that's just my American brain rot. I'm yes. una- I'm unable to, just because I haven't experienced it personally, it's something that I see from afar. It's hard yep. for me. you know. Whereas I live inside the careers of, all of these other artists you know what i mean it's like i i feel like i'm seeing it from the inside whereas like kylie's like it's almost like she's happening on another planet and i'm just sort of like learning about it but i don't i don't experience it even though i love her music you know it's really interesting and she she's been
2: my girl since i first heard the locomotion when i was eight years old oh my god
0: Yeah, like as you're sitting here talking, I'm going through the criteria for the different tiers, and I'm looking at tier one, thinking about it sort of in a European context, and I'm thinking, all right, highly relevant with a series of massive hits over multiple decades, absolutely check, can be referred to as mononymously, and even your grandmother knows who you're referring to. I'd say that's a check in other places besides America. Yeah um yep. numerous numerous distinct musical eras that either significantly yep. shifted or defined a certain period of pop i think we have distinct eras i i just feel like this is a bit where she suffers from like the constant comparisons to right. bigger pop stars like 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 you look at madonna in the 80s who's madonna is like such a clear tier one artist to me it's yeah. like her music defined the '80s. You know what I mean. It was like you—you yeah. you cannot extract popular culture from Madonna in the '80s. Like I'm not sure that we have that totally with Kylie. Um, well, we
2: don't. But we don't have that here. But I will say, like, her first album was the biggest selling album of the '80s in Australia. You know what I mean? And I yeah, think that's that crazy. the local, <laughs> yeah,
0: like, it's crazy. Yes, but. This is my thing. This is the bee in my bonnet. The sound of those early Kylie records was so directly drawing from what Stephen Bray was doing with Madonna. It's yes. so directly drawing from what yes. Jimmy Jem and Terry Lewis were doing with Janet. It's like, they didn't create that sound. You know what I'm saying? No. I'm just mowing down some more of these, like, their name means more than the sum of their hits. Definitely check on that. Um, they, you know... Like she definitely hits a lot of these tier one things. The legacy and impact is widely recognizable in artists who came after them. Yes, could tour arenas. I mean, I'm assuming Kylie could launch an arena tour anytime she wanted to. Let's let, tell me if you agree with this. Outside of America, she's like tier two on the cusp of tier one, and sort of like as I, things I, move forward, we and we reflect more, we might be able to like push her up in that. I first think one. that
2: that's very fair. She's creeping up on tier one.
0: Yeah, and we're outside of America, and then here, Noah. I don't know where the fuck to put her. I don't know if I don't I've either. ever been this stumped before in this part of the conversation. She's just very enigmatic in this way. But I guess I'm gonna throw her in the niche legend category, somewhere between niche legends and tier four or three, uh, something like that. I don't know. It's just when I when I'm here, even pop fans here, you're not. Uh, Okay, this is what it is. It's like, unless you've like decided to invest in this journey and go through the Kylie thing here, you're kind of not like necessarily going to be tuned in to who she is and her impact and all of the incredible music she's made here. So it's like you have to have like made that decision. Even I'm talking about even pop fans other gay guys you know it's like unless you've made that specific decision to follow this and to stand, like it's not something that you're going to be particularly aware of as an American pop fan okay well you know what what let's go out with a with a Kylie song that's an unexpected innovative song that you wouldn't sort of think is like in that classy Kylie Kylie mode like what, what would you what would you give us for that
2: I think any of the tracks on *Impossible Princess*. I think I think people, if they don't know that album, they should go listen to it. They're going to be surprised at what it sounds like. But for my money, it's always going to be *Aphrodite*. *Aphrodite*, I think is her best album. I just think it's yeah, it's just this gleaming stallion of pop that's galloping towards you, and yeah, uh, I love it. Like, okay, you know okay. what song I think people should listen to? Yeah. *Cupid Boy*. C- *Cupid Boy* off of *Aphrodite*. Okay, one of the I best songs ever made.
0: Okay, Noah, thank you so much for doing this. I had such a fun time talking about this with you. I could go on for days. (laughs) Me
2: too. This has been my pleasure, and thank you for asking me to do it. I had a great time.
0: Alright, well, that's that. Pop Pantheon Kylie Minogue. I international tier two rising and an American, I'm gonna say somewhere on the border between a niche legend and a tier four artist. Um, the judgment is rendered. That's that for now. If you disagree, please feel free to let me know. And the way that you can do that is by hopping on Twitter or Instagram and following me at djlouiexiv on both platforms, or and or following Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. Thank you so much to Noah Michelson for being such a fabulous guest. And look out for more info on the Pop Pantheon party, which I promise is forthcoming. Check out the Kylie Essential Spotify playlist, which will be in the show notes for this episode. And until we meet again in two weeks, I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful life. Bye-bye.